Welcome to the Beach Catholic Podcast with Father Brian Barr. In this episode, you'll have the opportunity to listen to the gospel and Father Brian Barr's homily from this past Sunday. Also, look out for the next episode where Father Brian and I answer one of your questions, so keep an eye out for that. But until then, here's the homily from April 23rd, 2017, the second Sunday of Easter. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst, and he said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger into the nail marks, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now a week later, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and he stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Bring your hand and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. When I was a kid, um, every September uh, I used to go out with my family on this picnic uh, over at Eisenhower Park. it was always the weekend, the Saturday after Labor Day weekend. Um, it was a reunion. It was um, it was a, a reunion of uh, my mom's parish that she went to when she was a kid in Brooklyn. Um, St. Teresa of Avila was the church. It was uh, on Sterling Place, not too far from Prospect Park, I think. Um, anyway, it was this... I didn't even know it as a kid, really. I knew it was St. Teresa's picnic, but I didn't really quite know who they were. Um, but it was big. It was a big picnic, and they had this really significant alumni association where they would come together for this picnic every year. And um, now this was like in the 70s and 80s. The people who were at the picnic weren't, they were in the parish back like in the 40s and 50s. So it was like years later that people continued to kind of come together uh, in the name of their parish. Um, I think it was a pretty epic place, the St. Teresa's in his day. Um, they still get together. There's, there's less of them now, but they still they do dinners and cruises sometimes. They'll do bus trips to different places. And I know that wasn't just St. Teresa's. Um, and it wasn't just Brooklyn. Um, talk to people who remember the church of those days Pretty much, I think, wherever you were, 
maybe in the city more so, but wherever you were, our identity was different, I think, as Catholics. Um, it was a lot clearer. It was, uh, everybody always says, you didn't, you didn't tell people what neighborhood you were from. You identified yourself by your parish. Oh, I'm from this parish or, or that parish, not this town or this neighborhood. It was just, the church was big. The church was central. Um, and I just think it was a product of that time and that culture. The culture, I think, supported faith in ways that it absolutely doesn't nearly as much today. I mean, you had a whole lot more Catholic schools back then, so you had just more kids in Catholic schools hearing about faith. Even the public schools. You know, the early, in the 1940s and 50s, they were still saying prayers in public schools. That didn't change till, till the early 60s. Think of that, just the culture itself, the movies people saw then, and the songs they listened to, the, the TV shows in the 50s and 60s. It was just, it was very, very different, obviously, than it is today. So much of what we were about, it seems to me, on some level, supported faith. Not necessarily explicitly this church or this denomination, but the idea of faith, the importance of God, like, yeah, it was just sort of implied in so much of what we saw and heard and and witnessed. Um, I think in a lot of levels faith was strong because it was almost protected by the culture. And it was kind of defended in a sense by the, the culture. And I think if you compare it to today, it's like we've done like a 180 almost. Now it's like the culture at best tolerates religion and faith. And in some cases not even that. It's, in some cases it's hostile toward it. When it came to religion, it just seems to me, in those days, and I, and I get this, I've read a little bit about it, I've also just talking to people from like my parents' generation. It was a very certain time when it came to faith. Things were very clear. Things were just really established. There weren't a lot of questions. There wasn't a lot of uncertainty in 1950 when it came to church. I think in those years there was other kinds of uncertainty. You had World War II, not many years before. You had the Cold War. Then in the 60s you had the 1960s. A lot of upheaval. But in terms of the church, that kind of, that was just sort of steady and very secure and very sure. I remember um, my mom going to, uh, this is about 10 years ago, there was a priest that she grew up with. He was a brand new, he was a newly ordained priest like in the 1945. His name was Father Jim Tully. And he just died about 10 years ago. He was even retired. He was in his late 80s. And he lived down south, retired. But they, this organization, this association got together and they, they put together a memorial mass a couple of months after his funeral up here. And I went to it. My mom wanted to go and I figured, let me go. I'll, I'll can celebrate the mass. I had heard about this priest growing up. It was amazing. I mean, a couple of hundred people came to this. The mass was great. And then afterwards, maybe even more compelling was afterwards, they had a, like a luncheon and people, uh, they passed this microphone around. And people just kind of told St. Teresa's stories and Father, Father Tully's stories. 
But I was thinking, like, first of all, it was just listening to this. It was like, man, like the church was just so strong in those years. And I was thinking, like, this was like, that was the mid-40s. This was 10, it was like 60 years later. These people came together in the name of this priest, 60 years later. I mean, you wouldn't do that for me in a heartbeat, would you, 60 years later? I wouldn't do it for myself 60 years later. Here's the point. Faith was a force in those days, I think, in ways that it's much less the case today. And a lot of times I'm sort of envious of that time when I hear people talk about it or I'll, sometimes even in an old movie you'll, you'll get the sense of it just by watching whatever's going on. It was, I think you could say, or everybody seems to say a simpler time and that was probably better. Seems like we ran around a little bit less than we do today. So we had more time for faith, more time to be here. The culture, I mean, it was just, seems like we had more standards then. You know, it was, we've become more crude and more kind of vulgar. More lowest common denominator on lots of levels. What we watch, what we listen to. I think on a lot of levels it was, I suspect, just easier to raise kids back then. And for sure, the church was a voice. And I don't want to paint, and I, I think sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm capable of this, of like painting this perfect picture of yesterday, those days. I mean, no era was perfect. We all know that. Those days were good on some levels, but in other levels, not so good. I just read a couple of days ago, there was an article about uh, Chuck Berry, the, uh, you know, the rock and roll pioneer. He died not too long ago. He was 90, and him and everybody was in. He influenced everybody pretty much in rock and roll. Everybody points to, to Chuck Berry's impact. Guitar playing, songwriting. I was reading this article about him, and they were talking about all that he, he accomplished, but they also talked about the, the prejudice that he encountered. I mean, it was disgraceful in the 1950s. The credit he did not get for so much of what he did. Royalties that he deserved, that he often didn't get. He'd be playing places he couldn't, he'd, he'd be able to perform in them. He'd sing in them, but he wasn't allowed to stay in the hotel because of the color of his skin. It was just... And that was 60 years ago, 70 years ago. So it wasn't all great. I think of, you know, family life. Elements of family life in those days wasn't always so good. Some of it was, but some of it wasn't. Dysfunctional family realities, secrets that were kept, you know, in the closet that nobody wanted anybody to know about, that today we're like, I think we're just healthier about, a better sense of psychology, mental health facilities. You hear these horror stories about the way we treated people who were mentally ill. So like, it wasn't all good. And in some cases, it's better. Here's an area where maybe, even in the faith department, it wasn't perfect. Yeah, the church was big, the church had influence, the church was a voice. Maybe in some aspects it was too much. Maybe it was too much of a voice. It was so certain. There was little doubt 
in those days when it came to faith, it seems to me. We were very sure of pretty much everything. And I, I would suggest maybe too sure. We didn't have a lot of patience for doubt and uncertainty. Questioning was considered dangerous or unfaithful. And I'm not so sure that was good. I think there's a place for doubt. Doubt has its place. You don't want to be doubtful 24-7 about everything. Clearly, there are things in life that are beyond the shadow of a doubt. There are things in life that are true forever. They are timeless. But not everything. I think there probably are more questions when it comes to faith that we should struggle with. Back in those days, I just, I'm not so sure we did. That would have just been considered not such a good thing. Look at this gospel. Peter, uh, Thomas. What do we call him? Got to tell you, talk about a guy getting a, a bad rap forever. <laughs> Doubting Thomas. You know, he's quoted a number, number of times in the Gospels. And he's always saying great things, heroic things, faith-driven things. And this one point, this is the one we latch on to. Him saying, well, wait a minute, I'll believe it when I see it. The questioning, the doubting, I think there's a place for that. You know, look at Peter. Peter denied Jesus. We don't call him denying Peter. St. Paul persecuted the church. We don't call him persecuting Paul. But poor Thomas is like, man, this doubting, and it's not considered a compliment. I think maybe it should be. Because doubt's not always a bad thing. I think doubt has its place. I think on some levels maybe it's this. I think doubt is one of the tools that sometimes God uses to produce great, ultimately great people of faith. Some of our greatest heroes in, of faith doubted and questioned and struggled. And I think when we try to shut those moments down in the name of I'm committing some sin, I'm not being faithful, that's a mistake. I think doubt can purify us. It can strengthen us. You know, it's funny, they, they refer to Thomas a couple of times in Scripture as the, a twin. Thomas the twin. Funny thing is, they never say who he's twins with. They never mention his brother or sister. It's like, I mean, you read it and you're like, so what? Why are you telling us he's a twin? Like, why, you, why do they add that fact and not tell us who the twin is? Maybe it's for this excuse me, maybe it's for this reason. Maybe they don't name the twin because we're the twin. On some very real level, maybe we're all Thomas. Thomas is twin. Because we struggle with doubt. We have questions. It doesn't always add up. And I think when we have those moments, we should go to Thomas. And to his example. I was... Um, reading this article just recently. Uh, why I was reading it, I don't know, but I, I caught it, started to read the beginning of it, and then it kind of caught my attention. It was about commercial fishing, which didn't particularly interest me, but I, they started, in the article, they started talking about codfish. 
which I know nothing about and don't really care much about, codfish. Um, but the codfish industry has been, was struggling, according to this writer. And the problem has to do with shipping these fish to different stores. What happens is apparently when codfish are frozen, they're, uh, they really lose their flavor. So they're just, they're not that good. So what they tried to do is they, they said, all right, let's ship them live like in tanks. And they say when you do that, it's, it's better than when they're frozen, but it's still not good because they, apparently they get like once, once they're, they're dead, they're, they're kind of mushy and soft. I, I, don't ask me how or why, but that's what they were saying here. Like still not, the flavor is still not really so good. So somebody in that industry came up with this solution. They took um, catfish and they dropped them into the tanks with the codfish. Apparently codfish and catfish kind of hate each other. They don't get along. And, and catfish eat codfish. They're enemies. So what they say happens is when you put them in the tank together, because the codfish are afraid of the catfish, they're on guard. They don't become stagnant. On a certain level, they sort of remain like in shape, I guess. So when you keep them in this and that keeps them alive longer, they're in a better place. And then we kill them and then we eat them. But apparently they say they're a whole lot more tasty if they weren't frozen and they had this opportunity to be sort of in this sort of uneasy situation with the catfish. I think in a way doubt, questions we have about God, maybe at times frustration with God, maybe even anger, certainly doubt. I think they're almost like the catfish. I think in some ways God, it's almost like God places these catfish into our, our faith lives. And it challenges us. And it makes us uneasy. It keeps us from being dull and flat. It pushes us to pursue truth even more than just being content, having memorized answers and just kind of spouting them back. I think God's okay with the questioning. Because you think about it, I think that does bring us to a better place. Think about a relationship. Think about, think about a, a close friend. Think about maybe a spouse. The first time you got in a wicked fight. And it was so bad, you almost thought, man, I, maybe he or she isn't the one. Or maybe I'll never be friends with this person again because of what happened in this confrontation. And then there's this period of uncertainty. We're uneasy. We're not comfortable. We wish things were the, were the way they previously were. But then we pursue this person. And they pursue us. And then there's healing. And there is reconciliation. And then you kind of feel like, you know what? As bad as that was, I, I kind of think, I, I think we're even closer. Like we survived this storm. When we go through storms of doubt, stay with it. Because I think they bring us to greater faith, more clarity, more truth. There's a great quote from this guy, uh, Cardinal Newman. He was a 19th century uh, theologian in England. And he talked about change. 
and the importance of change in life. He goes, to live is to change, and to change often is to become more perfect. To live is to change, and to change often is to become more perfect. I think doubt, well that's true, and I think doubt sort of allows for that change. Doesn't mean we should be reinventing ourselves constantly and forever redefining truths. But it's not all answered. It's not all clear. There are questions. Thomas had them. And Jesus was okay with it. He made one mistake, though. It wasn't his doubt, it was his absence. He just wasn't there. Just think about it. Connect the dots. This gospel I read, it takes place from one Sunday to the next. It begins on Easter Sunday night. He shows up. Jesus does, risen from the dead. Thomas is not there. And he's not believing. A week later, he shows up again, Jesus. Thomas is there. And now he believes. I mean, connect those dots. When we're here, we're better. When we're here, things make more sense. And when we're not, that's when we stumble. You know, you, have, you ever have somebody um, tell you a story, and they're, they're very excited about the story, and they think it's hilarious. You can tell as they're building it up. They're cracking up as they're telling the story. And, and, and you're thinking, oh, this isn't even going to be remotely funny. Like they can't even get it out. They're laughing so loud. And then it's sort of like very awkward at the end. You're like, you feel like you got to sort of laugh, but it's obvious you don't find it funny. And then what do we often say? I guess you had to be there. Like I guess you had to be there. Because first time around, it probably was really funny. If you were there. I think you, we do have to be there. Very often for a funny story, and always for faith. Being here is the difference. When, when Thomas was here, he was okay. When he wasn't here, that's when the doubt kicked in. Here's the danger. When we have doubts, minus community, when we doubt God, and then we isolate ourselves, that's dangerous. That's probably only going to get worse. But if we take the doubt we've got, I'd say the good doubt, and we bring it to a community of faith, we're here with our doubt, ultimately it makes sense. And I just think because of that, there's things we need to consider, maybe be challenged by, in terms of the way we view being here. And hey, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. It's a Sunday morning, and you're all here. But we're not always here. I think of, you know, people who, some of the excuses they'll make for not being here. Excuses they make today that they might not have made 10 years ago. They'll blame a very busy life, a very busy schedule as to why they're not here. Hey, if I'm that busy that I can't be here, then I'm too busy. Like, we can never be so busy that we can't be here. Because then we make Thomas's mistake. My 13-year-old doesn't want to go to Mass anymore. So it was like a battle every Sunday morning. 
Well, you got to win that battle. It's like, what if your 13-year-old said, I don't want to go to school anymore. I'm going to just quit. I'm going to get my GED down the line. Like, I'm just not going to school. You'd be like, are you crazy? Of course you're going to school. You have to go to school. It matters too much. That's a fight we're going we're gonna to stay in. That's a fight you're going to win, right? Why do we throw in the towel when it comes to being here? You know what I think for me what it comes down to? The church that I want is both. I want parts of the church my mom grew up in, and I want part of today. I want the best of both. The old church, which was about community and about identity and about pride and who we were, and I want that. I do sort of lament that we don't have that. I am kind of envious that I don't quite know that church. It's sort of like the community that was described in the first reading. But you know what I also want? I want today's church, one which is has a more adult faith, which I think is more real, which allows us to question and to challenge, and even for, in, in aspects, be okay with doubt. I think those two things, they make for a great church. The church he wants. Thank you for listening to today's show. Once again, look out for our next episode later this week, where Father Brian and I answer one of our listener questions. If you've got a question for Father Brian, you can send an email to beachcatholicpodcast at gmail.com, or you can connect with us at facebook.com slash beachcatholicpodcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and feel free to share with your loved ones. We'll be back later this week, and until then, God bless.